I see. So all we've got to deal with is something which is either small, just too small to see, or 30 feet tall, can incinerate you or freeze you to death, turns stone images into homicide of monsters, and looks like the very devil. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today, the master summons Satan here on The Demons. Hello and welcome to another episode of Genres as we genreless, genres, genres, genreless. We are uh, pretty generous with our time to be doing this we are for generous. three people that are listening to us. Yes, we, we, we have we've absolutely confirmed now we have plural listeners, um, which is great. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, we're still going through our classic Doctor Who run. Uh, and before we start, I want to give an update. Uh, uh, by the time we're recording this, <laughs> you will have already heard our first episode about the Daleks, which you had to update to talk about one of the things the BBC changed, which is that you can't actually watch the Unearthly Child. They made another change. They're releasing a 75-minute omnibus cut of the Daleks, which is half the length. So if you have, for some reason, listening to this and have not yet watched the Daleks, please do yourself a favor. Watch the shorter version. <laughs> It's fantastic. Like, it's iconic, but man, it's slow. I like that you're so incensed that you, I'm not going to use the word ranted, but you did comment <laughs> fiercely on it pre-recording and your first thought in the recording is to bring it up again. I also picked about it in the discord. I mean, this is, this, I'm mad about this. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, it, it brings up to a point which it leads into where we're going here today is that um, one of the things I love about Doctor Who uh, is that it's messy. It, it's constantly changing. Um, and so it's, it's as much as we're trying to kind of look at these shows as if they were kind of preserved in amber, we really can't. Uh, as we've talked about before, there's large chunks of episodes that are missing. Um, we don't watch television in the same way. Uh, but also Doctor Who has always been very... Uh, uh, comfortable with reimagining itself, reinventing itself, playing with the formula, and even representing um, its its past episodes. Like, uh, for example, with with the demons, the first time I actually saw this was in that kind of omnibus style that we've talked about in in the past, where in American television we just got everything as one really long movie. Uh, and so I really remember this as kind of just a solid hour and a half movie. Um, but then now watching it back, I think it's only the second time I've ever seen it as episodes and it's still kind of weirdly jars me. It's like, there's a break here. Oh, right. Yeah. We need to, <laughs> there's more stuff coming. I, as I finished watching it this morning, um, it struck me <laughs> like, what the fuck did, is Eddie choose this episode for? I've seen the Damons uh, mm -hmm. once before. And I thought that one viewing was sufficient for this one. <laughs> Well, there are a few reasons why I chose this. Um, one is uh, Doctor Who has this, particularly classic Doctor Who, but I think Doctor Who in general has this weird trend of occasionally anticipating the zeitgeist. And this is one of them, because when you watch this, you go, oh, this is Doctor Who meets the Wicker Man, right? This is so the Wicker Man. Yeah. Except the Wicker Man came out two years after this. But like, 
enemy of the enemy of the world. It's like, oh, this is the prisoners. This is obviously the prisoner, and yet it, the prisoner only came two months before that. Uh, so, it, it, Doctor Who is this well, weird kind of. If you, you you can actually extrapolate to a degree British culture from watching Doctor Who because it tends to weirdly tap into what's going on in the culture at those various moments. Slight spoiler for the Wicker Man, but I too, if I saw John Pertwee tied to a maypole, I would think to myself. I could base a whole movie off that. Right, right. And it's it's also, there's a lot of this kids television versions of much darker stuff. Like one thing that we may have covered, I don't know, we're still not there yet. These things are fluid, but um, uh, I watched uh, Paradise Towers and the Seventh Doctor run and thought, oh, that's really cool. I didn't realize too much later it was based off of High Rise, which is a much, much darker novel, right? And once you read or watched High Rise and you watch Paradise Towers, it's like, oh, I see what they're doing there. And then it <laughs> takes on a different resonance because, like, oh, this is the stuff that they had to cut around to try to get to what they actually want to talk about. I'm not sure why you watched Paradise Towers because I don't think that's I... on our, on our, spoiler on our list. But I will tell you one thing, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Red Kangs, Red Kangs are the best. Red Kangs are the best, and you cannot prove otherwise. I actually secretly love – not secretly. I actually quite love Paradise Towers, but um, you're right. Oh, it's, that... it's not a good – it's not a good oh. moment in McCoy's run. <laughs> oh, like that's a larger discussion of itself of why you love Paradise Towers. <laughs> it's it's it it wants so bad to be British television cyberpunk. <laughs> like it's just it's 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 like what would you take if you took if you ran Cyberpunk 2020 but at a G rating? <laughs> I would have cannibal grannies and someone named God, what was it? Pex running Pex, around. Pex. It's Pex. Lit. That's who they. Pex-less. That's who they wanted him to be, but he, he didn't have a lot of them. But I, I salute that actor for doing <laughs> it anyway. Being like an Arnold Schwarzenegger when you looked like me in my early thirties. <laughs> he tried so hard, so good. Um, but the other reason why I picked the demons um, is because I felt like a we needed a, a strong. Well, we need a master story, not a strong master story. Um, and B, I like this story because it's the best way to show kind of the gag of the master, right? Like, um, it's pretty easy to pick some really strong iconic, the master's really cool and very scary stories. There's there's a, a number of them and the master's a great character. Don't get me wrong. But one of the secrets of the master is that he's kind of shit at his job. And if you look at that classic master story, it's hard to see that, right? But okay, all right, Chris. The master deeply, deeply overcomplicates his his plot, like way more than he has to. So let, let's minor spoilers for the episode we're going to talk about, but let's let's talk I, about the master I, plan in here real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back slightly and say that the master purposely overcomplicates all their plots because they are the rejected part of a relationship and they want to keep interfering with the doctor's life so they can finally meet back up and be together. Well, I mean, Missy made the subtext text. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually real quick, uh, uh, for those of you, who, for some reason are listening to this and no idea who we're talking about uh, very quickly. Uh, the master is a, an enemy time Lord uh, to the doctor who actually gets introduced in the season we're looking at here. So like, this is actually the first season where the master, comes um some would and, say they were they were once friends colleagues even childhood chums 
Yes. Uh, at one point, uh, one line dialogue was cut, but I almost would have been brothers, but neither here nor there. Uh, um, and it, the master was very much created to be kind of the Moriarty to the doctor, right? Uh, this is this, the, the evil mirror, a very common trope in these kinds of, of stories, so on and so forth. Because at, uh, at, by this point in time, the brigadier had almost become Watson to the Dr. Sherlock. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He lost the break uh, from how he was last season for the show. Right. And uh, uh, the, the, the master really was meant to be specifically a third doctor rival. Uh, lots of things happens, uh, including, unfortunately, uh, uh, the actor here uh, dying uh, suddenly. Um, and so they kind of quickly, they never changed to finish the arc they were going for with the master. And so because there was no definite conclusion, I opened it up for other actors to portray the character because he's also a Time Lord and the master has moved on since. And again, I love the master. The master's great. But uh, uh, I, I want to, I want you to take a quick look at this map, the master's plan right here. Okay. It starts with, I'm going to summon a demon. <laughs> that that's, that's, that's the high point of the plan. I'm going to summon a demon. How do I do that? And how I do that is I pretend to be a vicar in a village. I then invite a TV crew to open up a gate so I can get the doctor there so I can use the doctor as part of my plan while I'm manipulating the village to capture him so I can use his energy to then summon the demon to do something. <laughs> to grant the master absolute power. Right, right. To do or, or, or is absolute power the end goal? Absolute power and to be able to command humanity because it was in a flippant line. It's less about the commanding humanity. It's more about <laughs> getting smooch time with the doctor. Right, right. But see, that, that, that's the point is like if, if this was an actual straightforward plan, it would just be, okay, let me just summon the demon and then figure out how to, how to get the doctor here. It's like, no, 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 no. This all has to happen before said demon summoning. Um, since, since we're getting a lot into the show, before we go there. Can you explain without by, by flip it ads who the master is, who has portrayed the master, and why the master is so critical to Doctor Who in and of itself? Well, I mean, I already kind of covered uh, uh, some of that at least. Um, uh, the master was kind of meant to be the the Moriarty uh, to um, the Third Doctor, um, but more significantly, I think uh, is that. Technically, he is the second rival Time Lord to the Doctor, but he's the first explicitly named Time Lord character, right? So the Meddling Monk, technically speaking, is also a Time Lord uh, from the first Doctor's run, but he was never given that name. We just know he has a TARDIS. And technically, we don't even know if he's a Time Lord, although retcons, he's now a Time Lord. Uh, um, the Master I can't is the remember, first... but wasn't the War Chief also Time Lord? I'm sketchy on that one. No, uh... uh that's actually vague. And in some early drafts, it was meant to be kind of um, uh, the war. Originally, it was supposed to be the warlord to be a rival to the time lord. So it was supposed to be a, diff a lord of a different aspect of creation. And then that got muddled in rewrites, and now it's been kind of moved around. I think he's also been retconned into being a, a time lord. Uh, but that's much muddier. Um, the master is the first. This is a time lord from Gallifrey, like the doctor, who is here to do evil stuff. Gallifrey doesn't exist yet. The word Gallifrey. Uh, no, you're right. That's three doctors, isn't it? 
It's, I want to say yes. I want to say it even is it's when Sarah Jane and the Time Warrior is when they drop the word California. I think okay, slight before Three Doctors. Then no, 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 no. It's in Three Doctors mm-hmm. because oh shit, no, you're right. I just watched it and now that I say that, I don't think California yeah. came up. It's okay. Sarah Jane and the, like the Time Warriors. Because that's one of the the big, not only Sarah Jane, amazing companion, but she also gets like the word Gallifrey associated with it when she shows up. So that's okay. Fair a enough, fan fair geek enough. moment. Um, Are we too into the uh, weeds right now? Because I feel there's more weeds I could go into. No, no, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to the actors. Um, so uh, um, we're now uh, at the OG, which is uh, uh, Roger Delgado, um, who is fantastic. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I make fun of the character a little bit, but it's not because of the actor. Delgado is doing exactly what he needs to do, which is being evil, maniacal Time Lord, right? And, and he is just gobsmackingly charismatic, right? Like, when, when he, he's supposed to be a master of hypnotism, and you believe it. You completely believe that Roger Delgado, you talked to you for five seconds ago. Yes, I will do anything you say, Roger Delgado. I completely believe that. <laughs> um, as I said, sadly, he uh, passed away suddenly in a motorcycle accident, I want to say. I think so. Um, uh, then, um, uh, now, now we're, we're getting into the weeds. Um, uh, he was uh, briefly played by uh, Peter Pratt. Uh, and then he was. I, I didn't uh, know if you his, pulled that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in a uh, discorporated form, I believe it was, um, uh, where he was basically uh, he's the uh, sometimes a fandom called either Melty Doc Melty Master or Pizza Master, depending on how you feel about it. Where he's decaying, uh, he was re re portrayed again in that form by Jeffrey Beavers, who has since played him a lot in the audios. So he's kind of the more iconic version of that, to my mind. Um. Then uh, Anthony Ainley was hired because he kind of looked like Roger Delgado. Uh, and so he played him a lot through the rest of the classic run. Um, then there was the Eighth Doctor movie uh, where he was portrayed by Eric Roberts, which I am having a small <laughs> reconciliation of uh, uh, how he portrays that. I, I don't hate it as much as I used to, uh, but certainly not one of the higher ones. Because you got uh, to see John Sims do it. So that kind of gave Eric Roberts some uh, leeway. Right, right. Because John Sim comes after that, um, who's probably the most well-known of the master, master portrayals, although to my mind, not one of my favorites. Uh, uh, then uh, Michelle Gomez plays Missy, uh, but she's also the master, a version of the master who uh, is, is one of my top three masters. Uh, and then uh, most recently, uh, a, a deeply, deeply underrated uh, Sasha Dolan. Um, One of my uh, favorites. Who, yeah, he, he's he's really up there. Uh, and he I think he has all of the manic energy of John Sims, but also all of the malice of Michelle Gomez. So I think he's really a very good yeah. synthesis of the two. Um, there have been some others. Roger, Delgado, okay. uh, Roger Delgado's charm, too, that just sort of like oozes off of him. Right, right. And... Technically speaking, um, he was also briefly portrayed by William Hughes when we had a brief clip of him as a child in 2007. So let's talk about some weeds. There you go. Oh, I feel better about that. <laughs> so one of the things that would bring him back to the third doctor is that the master's original arc, he was supposed to die having a good turn saving the doctor. 
and sort of right. have like that journey of redemption. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's when he, he passed away before that could happen, which opened it up for all the other regenerations, which have been fun that we may touch on as we go forward, because I don't know if they may pop up in some episodes. Right, right. Um, but a lot of the templates of the master kind of get established in this season, right? Uh, he is uh, prone to acting in uh, disguise and via aliases. Um, in this version um we we see a a one-time trend that unfortunately gets beaten into the ground in the 80s um which is that the master occasionally has his alias relate in some way to the word master uh uh, this was supposed to be a simply throwaway clue in this episode and it became a weird trend during the entire anthony only run uh which if we talk about that we'll talk about that but so i stay actually and also came up during uh the uh uh, John Sim one too because Harold Saxon is Master Six and it's an anagram. And so one of the funny p- tidbits of information that was during the time uh, people thought Roger Delgado was a permanent cast member of the show because he was in so many episodes that he yes. had problems getting work outside of Doctor Who for a while. He's like, please let people know that I'm not part of your cast because right. I think out of the 10 episode run that they had, he was in eight of them. Yeah. Like that is... Yeah obscene and uh, uh, you say disguise this this one wasn't so much a disguise it was just like the the glasses that he would put on right right again it it, it it's it's not as it it these are traits that get weirdly amplified for a while and then mixed around a bit now uh, again this case where i think john sibs a slightly more faithful interpretation in the sense that he had zero disguise he just said hey i'm prime minister now um which is more in lines with what we see here i would Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like the Anthony Ailey though. How did I miss Derek Jacobi? Oh, Derek Jacobi was also briefly the master. How did I miss Derek Jacobi? Oh, sorry. Because that was like a blink of an eye, and it was suddenly John Sims. <laughs> but uh, Derek Jacobi is incredible. Um, yes, huh. I still like Anthony's portrayal because Anthony was Anthony liked Delgado's charisma and ability to choose scenery in that way. But I love the mm-hmm. fact that he was always in disguise at like every time you'd see him, be it like the hologram, be it makeup. That was like the big trick for him. But I want to touch back to here is that the reason I think they called him like the Reverend Magistrate this time is because the doctor doesn't encounter the master until well until I want to say the fourth episode. Mm hmm. And so they needed to have the doctor know that the master is there to amplify and add terror to it. So that's why it's so easily discovered early on compared into previous ones where he would have bumped into the master in disguise. Like what was it in colony of space? They bump into the master who is parading around as like a, an earth judicator in the first or second episode. Right. Yeah. Out of and seven. Again, not even, dis- not even in disguise. He's just clearly Rock Delgado wearing a different outfit. Yeah. Right. So, you needed that. Um, so the doctor will go, oh, the master. Well, that's the, the the conceit, I think, that is is going on in the third doctor era is that the doctor immediately recognizes the master. So that the, the anagrams and the aliases are just to, to confuse other people until the doctor shows up. In later versions, it's it's a case of where the doctor is also surprised that this is the master, um, which is not, I think, how it's supposed to be pitched, but well, regardless, Davison's doctor was a lot more innocent than a lot of the other doctors. True, true. 
Um, and also, as much as I, I, I knock Anthony Ainley's version, he also got to be a cheetah person, which was amazing. So can't really argue that. <laughs> but if we live like animals, do you know that we die like animals? <laughs> I, have, I have heard that. I'm right um, there for you. But that, the third reason... Although that episode has one of my favorite all-time lines from Doctor Who. It is with the ace and the doctor at the end of it and him recapping like the entire meaning of the show as the series ended. Yep. And they walk off mm-hmm. together. Beautiful. Still my favorite thing to this day. Makes me tear up a little bit still, even just thinking about it. Survival is is, is a great serial, frankly. Um, and I have lots of thoughts about that whole season. I own it. I own that season on DVD because I just love the whole season. That's also where we got the actress who played Benny from, uh, Lisa Bauer. Yes. 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 Because she played a cheetah person. Now we're in the weeds. (laughs) But the third person, the third reason I picked this serial um, is also for me, this marks the point where Doctor Who only has a, a glancing relationship with science fiction. Right. Uh, I'll go into more detail when we talk about the episode, but this is one of the more explicitly fantasy stories in the classic Doctor Who canon, even though the story itself protests it is not. Um, uh, and and again, like on some level, this this is basically the Doctor Who fights Satan, and it doesn't really discount that premise in any meaningful way to the point where this actually happens again in tenants run it's yeah. a very uh, different relationship i think tenant fought satan better but we could go into that Great. if we ever get there no i i completely agree that that is handled in a very different and much better way uh partially because by that point doctor who can not even bother to engage with the scientific technical that this one is clearly struggling with uh but again the show is at this point, what we're seeing is that Doctor Who is not really a science fiction show, and it's not even really a time travel show because we've been stuck on Earth. It's a show that can do other genres. And so, again, this is a really good example of Doctor Who meets you know, uh, rural horror uh, in a way that it can do in a television TV, in a kid's TV show. Uh, so it's the, the doc, my argument, my, my thesis has always been that Doctor Who ultimately does not travel in time. He ultimately travels through genres. <laughs> it still falls, though, within the staples of the two type of episodes they would have throughout the entire run while he's on Earth, like Mad Scientist or Alien Invasion. And the Master is a mad scientist who pulled a ploy, plot. So it's still within those two bilywicks. It doesn't it deviate is. from that. It's just a different, different clothing. Right. And, and so on, on the one hand, a cynical view of this would be uh, the, the production team is running out of ways to do variations on these two points. And so they're kind of grasping at straws. Um, my more interesting approach is that it shows that there's endless variations in the same way we saw. Well, we didn't see, but we talked about uh, where um, Troughton can do endless versions on the base and siege formula. Uh, uh, but as you get further in, they're going to get a little weirder and weirder and weirder. And Doctor Who can sustain that. Um, here we're saying there's endless variations on either alien invasion or uh, 
mad scientist. Um, and I, I, go, I don't think we're even to things like invasion of the dinosaurs yet, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it goes even further along before they finally just say, okay, let's get, put them back in space. We're done with this. But we will not cover invasion of dinosaurs because we love you listeners too much and will not subject you to that. <laughs> at least unless we do like another classic Doctor Who run at some point in time. I mean, if you want to watch rubber dinosaurs making out, I mean, I suppose we can do that, but it wouldn't be the first time. I I too <laughs> saw, I too I too watched Firefly in my lifetime and seeing Wash kissing his dinosaur toys together. That is a direct reenactment of how the special effects were made for that serial. <laughs> I know they went forward in time with advanced technology to film it badly to send it back to there. Um, <laughs> would you like to start the synopsis, or we yeah. can keep going on? Oh, no, no, I, I, I think we done the weeds. There, there is one other point I'd like to get to first. Okay. Two, actually. Before we go into the episode proper, can you explain to us, our listeners, who Joe Grant and Mike Yates are? Oh, okay. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I'm going to talk heck on Mike Yates first. Uh, Mike Yates is a captain uh, who was added to the show for reasons that I neither do not know nor deeply care about because Mike Yates sucks and we don't like him. I love his really- for Joe Grant. That is a terrible and reason, that and went. also doesn't work. Um, yeah, because she clearly is not into him and runs off with someone completely different in the Green Death. Uh, but Joe, thank you for reminding me of this, because um, Joe's a little complicated. I'm going to start by saying <laughs> Katie Manning. Katie Manning is a fucking treasure. She is amazing, a deeply underrated actor, uh, and has proven that Joe has more depth of character than the scripts ever gave her. Um, but it's almost entirely due to how she plays it rather than anything that's on the page, at least in classic era. Later eras have redeemed her much, much better, particularly the Sarah Jane adventures. Um, she also, again, refiguring the weeds, uh, is fantastic as Iris Wildtime. Um, and there's a, actually a couple of audios where Joe and Iris Wildtime team up because Katie Manning's doing all the voices, and it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Um, because Iris Wildtime is your drunk aunt who does not care, and is just fantastic. Um, the problem with Joe is that she is explicitly and intentionally written to be the doctor's dumb assistant. The antithesis uh, uh, of the show. Yeah, this is not even a, a debate or subtext. Uh, the uh, Terrence Dix, who was script editor, said for decades that was exactly why he created Joe, as someone who could ask doctor questions and pass in beakers. Uh, and in this episode, on top of all of it, the doctor treats Joe really fucking shabbily, right? Uh, so my love and respect for Joe comes entirely from how Katie Manning plays her. Like in a different actor's hands, Joe would just be an abysmal, be frankly another Victoria, right? Um, What Katie Manning does is she plays Joe with this kind of relentless optimism. Uh, She's kind of a counterbalance to the Brigadier. I mentioned last time that the Brigadier, his, his character archetype is basically nothing faces him. Joe's a slightly different version of that, um, which is relentlessly optimistic. And no matter how bad things get, she just smiles and does the thing. 
and the way she pitches it is amazing. You don't see as much in this one. You see more in things like uh, The Three Doctors and some of her later runs, especially when they start traveling and take space and time. I think Joe comes into her own a bit more on that front. Um, but she is written to be in, a member of agent. She is supposedly an, uh, an agent of unit. Uh, but her skill set as presented in the show do not back that up. Uh, which is, again, deeply frustrating. So it's... And what's even more frustrating is that uh, Katie Manning and John Pert, we apparently had a fantastic dynamic on set. They were, they were very good friends with each other. Um, and some of the things that on screen look patronizing turn out to have been very much not. For example, um, the doctor will always grab Joe's hand when they're running. And if you don't know context, it looks like he's yanking her, pulling her along like she can't keep up. In reality, Katie Manning was ha has very bad eyesight, and so he was doing that to make sure that she would not trip and fall when they're running over uneven ground. Uh, so it, it's it's little things like that where there, there there's a there's a, a subtext and, a, and an undercurrent to Joe's performance that makes you always feel like there's something more there. But to be blunt. If you watch this and go, wow, the doctor is a horrible misogynic bastard, I can't really argue strongly against that, at least on the evidence of just watching like the demons. Cool. So, uh, okay. Anything else we need to cover before we go in? No, I think those are the big high points. Anything else we can get into in the episode itself? Okay. So, as always, we're just in kind of four rough, well, four or five rough chunks. Um, in the village of Devil's End, there is an archaeological dig uh, excavating the infamous Devil's Hump, because, you know, they're very good at naming things. Uh, this is a Bronze Age uh, burial mound. Uh, a local white witch named Olive Hawthorne arrives to protest, warning of great evil and the coming of the quote-unquote horned beast, but she is dismissed as a crank. After watching a television broadcast about the dig, the doctor tells Joe that Miss Hawthorne is right. The dig must be stopped, and they have to go there right now. Miss Hawthorne goes to see the new local vicar, Reverend Magister, who is also the master. He tries to assure her that her fears are unfounded, but his hypnosis fails to overcome her will. So backed by a group of followers, the master is conducting ceremonies in a cavern below the church to summon Azal, a force of evil. Uh, the doctor and Joe reach the mound, and the doctor rushes inside to stop the dig, but it is too late. The doomed tomb door opens, and a Icy gusts of wind brushes out while the eyes of one of the gargoyles flares with a reddish glow. So um, one thing that's happening at the start of this is uh, uh, one thing I glanced over is there's a long scene where the doctor's trying to tell Joe that magic doesn't exist. It's superstition, faith, just only science. Uh, and he does this by remote control, remote controlling Bessie with a control in his pocket, which is a plot point we'll come to later. And he's like, see, all magic is secretly science. And then a witch shows up on television and says, there's an evil demon in this mound. And doctor goes, yes, that is absolutely true. We need to go investigate that. I don't have a lot for that because we. <laughs> so, I mean, throughout this, I mean, let me just kind of un unwind this point because it doesn't get much more nuanced than this. Um, there's going to be lines throughout all these episodes where the doctor says some form of all magic is secretly science. Uh, Joe at one point in a throwaway line asks if the reverse is true and it just never gets addressed. Right. Um, so the show 
is, is, is there's a conceit of like, okay, well, if it's appears supernatural, it's actually scientific. Here's the quote unquote issue with that. The show at no point explains what the actual scientific underpinnings of any of this is. The doctor just says it's science. He doesn't say Azal's an alien. He doesn't say uh, the spell is some kind of a resonant harmonic that allows the, uh, de- he, the the alien to come across a dimensional rift. Throughout the course of the show, he does point out that Azal is an alien, and many of the things they've encountered are aliens. Because Benton asks him directly, and he goes, "Yes." He doesn't what answer is- Joe's question about it, which reinforces potentially the stereotype that's projected onto their relationship. Well, I mean, fair, but also um, he doesn't give any more information. Like the doctor's point, whenever the, the companion or the, the support cast says, hey, doctor, is it blah? He would go, yes, comma, and then explain. He doesn't. He just says, yes, it is an alien. But it's also summoned by magic, right? The spell component, the, the, the ritual component, he, he mentions that it is science, but he doesn't say what the science is. He doesn't even make, there's not even made up science. It's just, as far as we can tell, the master used a magic spell to summon an alien that looks like a demon to Earth. Then they, at no point in time, I think through most of the course of these early classic doctors, they talk about what the actual science is. And at some core level, you could say that all magic is science because it would have a ritual that is frequently done to create X or Y effect, which you'd be doing that. Then it comes down to what you consider the scientific method to be, which is a larger discussion that this children's show in 1970, whatever, isn't going to do. Right. I mean, it's not hard to do that math. It's pretty easy. And in fact, like I mentioned earlier, the Satan pit will do a version of that where a tenant will actually say it's blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, uh, the, the cadence and structure of the chant allows you to, to set up harmonic resonance, blah, 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 right? It doesn't matter. Um, it's just that this show, it, 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 to me, comes across as protesting too much a few times, right? Like, <sighs> Dr. No, it's science. It's science. I swear to God, it's science. Please, for the love of God, believe it's just science. Well, that's um, what Marvel told you about Asgard. They're not gods. They're just aliens. <laughs> right? Right? There is very strong Thor. Thor is totally a god, except for the times we need him to be a space alien. Because we don't want to offend people that may be Christian and think that an Asgardian god is too far over the line. Right. 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 And a similar thing here. Um, it is also little touches to that. Like, for example, um, we never find out what denomination the vicar is. He's just the local vicar uh by his title you can probably imply church of england um but it's never explicitly spelled like he's just generic local religious figure i i'm gonna say that is because the master didn't know but the villagers should have known <laughs> the master doesn't know probably probably he's like I'm, I'm just gonna wear a collar and see how far i could bluff it honestly <laughs> <laughs> and he hypnotizes anyone that asks Right. But wait so a second. The- in our religion, you wear, I wear this. You wear that. That is true. <laughs> Go forth. Right. He just goes in front of him and is like going, I have been preaching to you for the past two hours. And it walks off and like has a drink. Uh, uh, so Olive Hawthorne, I, I, I love this character and I do not know why, but I do <laughs> throughout the entire course of the run of this show. Right? Like, uh, uh, this is the other thing is... Um, Throughout all of this, also, Olive is like, no, I'm a witch. I do magic. And the doctor argues with her and kind of loses every time. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, 
you know, um, he's like, no, all this is just science. We don't understand that. And she's like, that's just magic. And then doctor goes, points at her, and then just walks off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I want to take a step back to, yeah, to step back for this. The Benton Brig and Yates and the Brig coming in, and I'm going to assume that's his formal military costume? <laughs> um is hilarious from from top from top to bottom like i loved it and the brig goes off which then creates the problem for this episode for me personally because i all right i don't like my yates i don't like captain yates from the start i don't like captain yates from the middle i don't like how captain yates ends up either but there is no reason for that character to exist no he's um uh, one of the reasons why I, I also like the Damons is that, and we're not quite there yet, but um, is a better showing for Benson than he usually gets. But this show also shows that Yates is taking the oxygen out of Benton's possible expansion. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why the things that Yates are doing couldn't be given to Benton. Yeah. And then that removes a brig from the direct action, which we'll go to in more of the episode. But like all of that, rubs me the wrong way it rubbed me the wrong way when i watched it then and it does now too even as a rewatch because that right. creates someone i think you originally said last last time we did this it puts someone between the brig and benton yeah to sort of separate them out but that runs counterintuitive to the dynamic those two had they were like fun to watch together on screen and right, now yeah. Yates is just guessing pretty much guessing to what benton says or guessing to what the brig says which Military structurally, that bothers me because he shouldn't be guessing Benton. He should be taking Benton's input and then executing right. as the officer for Benton. That, that's the other thing is that uh, Yates is nominally a captain, but he does not act like it at all. Uh, he never really does. Um, and yeah, so from a military structure standpoint, it, it interferes with the dynamic, but also he acts like he's a squatty. And he just that, – that's not the rank he's supposed to have and maybe it could be if the actor brought something else i'm not saying the actor is doing a bad job as yates but when you're in the middle of benton and the brig who've had a year more than a year together doing this and they're both great actors are bringing a great presence to that character you need to like up your own game to stay on par with what they're doing right right um which is Quick digression, but another reason why the way Joe is pitched is a little frustrating is because there was a character in the original concept of the show that asked the questions and passed the beakers, and that was Sergeant Benton. Right? Sergeant Benton filled that role in the first season of The Third Doctor. Uh, uh, and there's no reason why he couldn't have just expanded to have more of that. We're not here to relitigate how this show was done wrong. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, talking about the weeds, uh, and Chris knows that I went into the weeds on this one. Um, I got really obsessed with one small scene uh, because Yates comes in. And one of the things that annoys me about this scene is that Yates comes in and goes, oh, there's a game on. Let me sit down with Benton and watch the game, which, again, not what you should be doing probably as a captain in this environment. Um, but they're watching some kind of game on TV. Uh, and then afterwards, Benton is mad at how the game turned out. And so I thought, okay, they're probably watching football. But then the, the score is 13 nil, which is massive for a football game. And Bet makes the comment of it might as well have been 113 nil. And like, okay, those are not football scores. 
So I actually rewound to watch that like 10 second clip we see of the television. And based on the score and what I saw, I'm reasonably sure they were actually watching a rugby game because 13 nil is a much more reasonable rugby score. Um, but it also, if that's true, right? Um, the one thing I like, well, actually, it doesn't matter if it's football or rugby, frankly. Uh, the one thing I like about that scene is more for Benton's sake, is that it really establishes Benton as kind of the everyman of the whole cast, right? Like the, the brig has seen some shit and constantly has to deal with nonsense. Uh, the companion, whether it's Liz or Joe, their role is to be swept up in strange situations and react to it. Benton just does the job. He's like, my job is weird. But at the end of the day, after we're done, you know, dealing with invading dinosaurs or summoning Satan, I go back home, I watch the game, and I have a beer. And he <laughs> never stops being that character, and I love that about Sergeant Benton. Well, and you could also see Benton is a person that could have a life outside of Unit. Yep. We we know even canonically about the Briggs' life outside of Unit, and it is turbulent, and he keeps right. getting dragged back in. But like you can envision Benton going, settling down if he wants to with whoever and like living a life and then just calling it a day, taking his pension and I'm out. Yeah, he, he probably has a, a small garden or a small, you know, plot to, to, to grow some things in. Um, he, he, he follows his team. He reads the paper, uh, maybe goes down to the pub, and have a drink with some of his old unit buddies. Um, that, and that's, that's Benton. We don't need to see his retirement because he's just that guy. But the um, one thing is, you would also not be surprised if in 20 years, even during retirement, he hears that the doctor is somewhere and needs help and Benton would just show up because that is the oh, type yeah. of person he is. There wouldn't be a debate or angst or drama over it. He would just like, I'm right, I'm here. I I, I dug my uh, submachine gun on storage. What's up? Yeah. Uh, so I guess we, we should stop the podcast for becoming, we love Benton into uh, <laughs> to be a point. Uh is there anything else about this or about Sergeant Benton we need to talk about? <laughs> uh, I may mention Benton somehow next time when we talk about the show, but no, I'm 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 okay right now. Okay. Uh, so the next chunk is that uh, Yates and Benton uh, arrive at the village at the following morning uh, in plain clothes. Uh, the doctor is frozen solid and has a bit of a lie-in while Yates and Benton actually fuck around and do the job, the plot. Uh, the brigadier arriving oh, sorry. later. Find sorry, sorry, <laughs> interrupting your reading. There is something I wanted to mention that I got sidetracked from because of our Benton discussion. Uh, Eddie, I'm an American, and a score of 13 to 0 is not an obnoxious football score. Go. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about what you would call soccer. Uh, well, I used to call oh! soccer. Not, not, not football. Um, so if, if it was, if it was a football score, it would have been something like, uh, one, one nil, two nil, three nil, not 13. I mean, unless they're egregiously bad, but it just seems unlikely. I, I, I myself have started watching Wrexham because of, um, the Deadpool and the guy from it's always sending in Philadelphia. Now I'm following <laughs> football, but sorry, for my American listeners, there you go. When he meant football, that's what he said. In case you didn't want to Google it, please proceed. Uh, oh, and also, uh, that probably means that the winning team probably had two tries and one conversion. Anyway, so, uh, Yates and Benton uh, do the actual plot while the doctor's frozen. The brigadier arrives later and finds himself unable to enter the village because there's an invisible dome-shaped barrier of 10 miles in diameter, one mile high, surrounding it that causes anything to heat up and burst into flame, dumped with some phenomenal special effects. 
the Brigadier contacts Yates and is briefed in the situation while the Doctor and Joe return to the dig where they find a small spaceship in the mound, which has been condensed. Uh, I think that the writers of this episode have every right to sue WandaVision for stealing their town in a force field, suing those people, suing Stephen King and his Under the Dome TV show book series. They did it first. Right? I mean, again, we have another moment where they're anticipating things that we recognize in later, more popular things. It's the, oh yeah, no, there's a, a isolated village that's literally isolated and the military forces on the outside and can't get in unless something bad will happen. And so they have to bring in their scientific advisor to find a big attraction to get through the mystical field. And oh my God, I just described one division again. What the hell? <laughs> uh, are, you, but also, are you Razin? That special effect of the Briggs like little baton <laughs> bursting into flames. And, yes, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it once. I think he did it three times. What he did? Psst. What he did? What? <laughs> um, it is one thousand percent. We have an invisible force field because that is the cheapest special effect we could possibly have. <laughs> And it works. It, 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 okay, the, the brig is on the outside of the dome and, and Yates and Benton are on the inside. And so, of course, there'll be shenanigans with Yates and Benton, except not really. They kind of just, this subplot kind of just stops, which is sad. Did you not see, I, I've got to talk about this because it's the best thing ever. They capture Olive after the master can't hypnotize her oh, right, because yes. of her strong witch will. And Benton hears screams coming from a cellar. And Benton, without telling the rest, telling Yates or anybody, runs down to the rescue because he's such a great guy, gets into a scuffle with a cultist, and does the best move in the world. He lightly taps the shotgun with his shoe. Yep. 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 There, There's a there's a, a, a shadow of a kind of Benton as action hero series or subplot that could have been really cool, right? Like, I could see Benton carrying a subplot if you wanted to. Um, the problem is, is that you're right. He basically just goes into to try to rescue Olive. Generally succeeds, um, but then that just kind of stops, right? The doctor comes back up, and so Yates and Benton kind of just, I think, to go back to the pub and wait. Um, it, it's wait. It's you're, of... you're glancing over the love the love plot between olive and benton that we get because she makes a joke about being long in the tooth to be his princess and then olive after benton is stunned carries benton like not only is she strong-willed she's strong-backed and she is like kicking butt and even well, at the end I, of the episode I, she pulls benton to the maypole i'm just saying i mean i I'm not here to, to, to dissuade you out of your, your Olive Hawthorne love. Uh, I'm just saying is to call that a plot is extremely generous. It is barely anything a that's Anything that's not related to the Doctor, if I'm calling a plot, is generous. Okay, fair. Uh, but it does bring up a good point. Again, it's like the – so I, I knew we were going to talk about Benton. Um, Benton has the chops to be a, a second-tier action hero in Doctor Who. He's got the comedic chops to sell – to a, a woman, a, a female character. What would you say that he is, in fact, a Remo Williams? <laughs> honestly, honestly, that's not a bad comparison. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I, no, it just uh, this is both 
one of the better Benton stories and also frustrating because you could see there's so much potential. They could have done so much with, with the character, but they just have Mike Gates in the way. And by the time Mike Gates is written out, it's a bit too late. So funnily enough, though, this season would have been great for spinoff shows. I even think the show was doing well enough at this point in time that if in the 70s they'd done that, they could have had a whole unit spinoff how they're doing rumored to be doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have yeah. been really successful and could have stayed on Earth with a cheaper budget. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, but then, yeah, we have this weird subplot where the doctor's frozen and then just kind of, I mean, like most of the episodes, he's frozen. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's part we need a vacation or uh, um, they're going to do something with this. But no, he just, they turn the heat up, he gets unfrozen, and then he's back at it and it's in the same episode so it, it's a weird kind of we get try we get reestablishing though that the doctor has two hearts and you yes, get a doctor being a little freaked out by that a doctor not the doctor right right that's true uh is a reiteration of the gag from uh uh the uh, spearhead in space and it also reinforces how much Joe cares about the doctor as a character. It does a lot of smaller emotional beats, but I agree. I don't know why it's there. Cause it, other than to get, make this a five episode arc instead of a four episode. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's a bit of padding, but you're right. I mean, it, they, what, because for being padding, there's some cool bits in it, but it's basically a chunk of padding here. Um, but I agree with you. Uh, uh, Joe getting some, again, relatively innocuous lines but katie manning puts everything into them how does the master know everyone's secret i want to take a minute to talk about this scene where he calls all i think it's just <laughs> all the the men in the village together accuses some of them of fraud and one of them directly of murder yes is, is your wife ever coming back from her sisters hmm? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> they they couldn't say he killed her because it's a kid's show and the kids might go well maybe she just likes her sister's house direct <laughs> accusation of killing and burying her and no one in that entire room blinked an eye it's like well oh well sometimes you gotta do stuff <laughs> I mean not, not to answer your question right away, but like I could absolutely see the master going, you know what? Respect. I mean, you got to just bump <laughs> your old lady off. I, I feel you. I'm with you. <laughs> um, but no, I had always interpreted it as um, he's just basically completely uh, abusing the confessional. What you're telling me is that if you went and murdered your spouse, you would then go into the confessional booth and tell the vicar, so I murdered my spouse. I've told everyone in the village that she's gone to visit her sister. There's a difference in like that versus, so vicar, I may be fudging the books a little bit in, in my accounting for the grocery store. I mean, if you want to get into heaven, you better confess <laughs> in this vaguely denominational church that exists. I, all right. So large crowd scene, bunch of bunch of dudes confess that being called out on their sins, and they go, "You know our dirt, so we will happily become your mob." And please don't tell anyone to go visit my wife's sister. <laughs> it's 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 a bit like like again, it's, you can kind of see the the bits and pieces of how that got here, but it's also just out of nowhere. It's just the master is like. I know your secrets. You're doing anything now. It's like, okay, I guess too. But I think part of it is um, uh, 
like when we first see the master, they, they're talking about the vicar, and then yet you see his face. It's a close-up shot. There's a musical sting. So the audience is supposed to know at this point in time, oh, it's the master. Oh, shit, it's the master. And so I think in a way this works if you've been watching Doctor Who Weekly because it's – of course the master just gets people to work for them. We're kind of shortcutting the – he manipulates people. He mesmerizes them. I, I think what's actually happening here is that in isolation it looks rushed, but I think if you're watching his weekly show, it's just this is what the master does. So let's just get to that point. Do a, do a scene. He, he accuses the guy of murder. Great. Now they're all on board. Let's move on. I'll, I'll give you that because you would have seen the master now in four other serials or something at this point in time. Right. So, right. We don't need to reiterate that. Yeah. You know? it, it's similar to the doctor's locked up. He pulls out this gun screwdriver and now they're, they're free. We don't need to belabor that point. Speaking of the sonic screwdriver, I miss the tissue decompressor. We've had this discussion on the <laughs> episode we did about the power of the doctor. I love the tissue decompressor. It is the best, best weapon in existence. Makes absolutely yes, no sense. And I love it. Yes, it, it, it turns people into dolls because dolls are cheap to make. <laughs> love that thing. But no, it is, is, is it. But, but that gets to the point of, like I said earlier about the master, is that the master is just. A, a bit ludicrous, right? Like he's evil, but he's not scary evil. He's 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 kind of silly evil. He can be scary, have scary moments, but just he's a bit silly. I think Tegan Javenka's aunt would disagree with that. <laughs> well, yes, considering I saw her all of like ten minutes in Logopolis. <laughs> I mean, you might as well say the camera guy in uh, um, the Assassin of Death or Deadly Assassin. You know, we'd care about him too. Well, Tegan Jamaica's aunt, whose name I don't remember, as I just keep calling her Tegan Jamaica's aunt, was as experienced a tissue decompressor. And the horror of the master is that you stumble over that doll. And like that's where true. the horror kicks in. Like true, that true. as a kid is a horrific thing because as a kid you'll be thinking about that later. And maybe if you're a kid with action figures or dolls, you go up to your room. What are you thinking right then? Okay. All right. Oh, that's fair. Whole line of relative staring at you. I will concede that the doctor is scary for kids. I will, I will concede that point. All right. Uh, anything else about uh, the Mike Yates, Sergeant Benton show? I will have nothing positive to say about Yates. I can tell you that it was great to watch people beat up Yates this whole episode. Everything that Yates did failed. Like, literally, <laughs> he can't protect a helicopter. He can't shoot a bazooka. He's getting beat up left and right. He can't report to a superior officer in a timely manner. <laughs> Nothing. All right. <sighs> so let's move on. Uh, the doctor realizes the master is trying to conjure up an ancient and all-powerful demon who is seen on Earth to be the devil but is actually an alien. The doctor explains that the demons have used Earth as a giant experiment throughout its history, becoming part of human myth. The doctor has summoned, called the demon up once, and right now it is so small as to be invisible. The third summoning, however, could signal the end of the experiment and the world. The master summons up Azal again and demands to be given the demon's power, but Azal warns him that he is not the master's servant. Azal says on his third appearance, he will decide if Earth deserves to continue existing. If so, he will give it to the master, and then he vanishes in another heat wave. This is a point in time where I would almost agree that the master's plans are absolute rubbish because the master <laughs> works with works with the dialects. 
He works with the Cybermen. He works with aliens masquerading to be the devil, always demanding power or something in exchange. And that is a prize when it doesn't work out the way he expects it to. That's that's the the thing. Like right, like it's um the master makes extremely elaborate plans and then is constantly surprised when these extremely elaborate plans turn out to have been overcomplicated. <laughs> it's like a bit of self-awareness here, buddy. Um, uh, but also like, you know, uh, that, that's why I chose the, the line I did is because when you have people in unit explaining the plot to other characters, you start to realize this is a really weird story, <laughs> you know? Uh, because there's another – the one I chose is actually Yates explaining to uh, uh, the Brigadier what's going on. But there's an earlier line where the Brigadier's also trying to summarize the plot um, that also ends with, oh, and by the way, he's also the devil. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, Like the humans are just trying to wrap their heads around it. And again, like Yates says it with a line of like, oh my god, this is awful. Uh, um, when the Brigadier delivers a similar line, he's like – so how do we shoot it, right? It just kind of okay. So this is what it is. How do we solve it? Um, but uh, to, yeah, I mean, we get this, the slideshow of the doctor showing all the different mythological creatures and how they all have horns and how they all derive from this one alien. But it doesn't. It doesn't like it just calls the alien species the demons. Uh, so the 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 alien is functionally a demon. They're one slight letter difference from demons uh, to the point where he has to be pedantic about it. No, not, da- not demons, demons. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, but then Olive correctly goes, what is the difference? And there's just no answer to that. Because on a meaningful level, both the White Witch and at least two members of UNIT, as far as they're concerned, they're fighting the devil. And there's no meaningful difference in what the doctor's saying and what's actually happening. Let's talk about the gargoyle. Bach? Bach. Oh. You mean Weeping Angel 0.1? I mean, I mean a, a, a dude in a suit that can't even run because the suit is so tight somehow and kind of hops around. <laughs> I mean, this first time I watched it, in a while, right? Like I mentioned, I've only seen it in the um, format. Um, but I had just been doing some spot watching of the newer Doctor Who, so I had just seen some Weeping Angel stuff, and then I got back and watched it like about a week later. And so it's hard to... It was very similar space. Like, here's a stone statue come to life. Um, and yeah, it looks like the beta version of a Weeping Angel. Like, okay, would it be the beta... A, 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 a Weeping Angel, but just like 20% of the pieces are there. Yeah, you know, it's not even a beta. It's like a it's like a a, a working prototype. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's so right. clearly like Doctor Who needs monsters, so let's put the monster in. And I'm gonna say, I think, wow, how I did last episode too. It would be better without the random monster. The right. episode would have been. I understand you'd you'd lose like w- at least one of your big initial plot beats where it jumps up at the end and you get like your cliffhanger ending. <gasps> it's a monster, da, da, da. right? But and, and unit and would mean, have less to do because you couldn't shoot the devil with a bazooka because they couldn't afford those special effects. Right. 
besides, you would also miss the line of chap with the wings, five rounds rapid. <laughs> oh, I, best saying ever. I love the break. Right. Once right. again, it's just perfect brigadier, right? It's just the got to shoot the flying stone gargoyle. That guy over there. Just do the job. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, okay. Well, then uh, I'll move to the next point because I think it ties into your point about we didn't need a monster. Uh, because the doctor is captured by a mob of villagers working for the master. We talked about this earlier. Um, they tie him up to the maypole and plan to burn him alive. With the help of Ms. Hawthorne and Benton, he escapes. In the church cavern, Joe and Yates watches the master summons us all one last time. They try to interrupt the ritual but are taken prisoner. As Joe is prepared as a sacrifice for us all, the brigadier manages to get through the heat barrier into the village. The doctor manages to avoid Bach, who is guarding the church, and gets into the cavern where the master is expecting him. Outside, unit troops are held back by Bach, chapter of the Witness, Pyron Rabbit. Um, but to your point, we didn't need the gargoyle because we already had the mind control villagers. Mm -hmm. Which would but have been more right. interesting to see unit have to deal with villagers who are people. So you just can't right. five round rapids them. Well, you could, but the right. brig wouldn't. <laughs> right. And again, we see uh, Benton is actually shows you the way we could have done this because, um, uh, how Hawthorne and Benton help him escape is that he convinces all the villagers that he's actually a wizard, which is just amazing. Like, like Olive's going, but he's secretly a wizard, and and he looks at her like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Right? And he's like, "Yes, I'm a wizard." Um, and so she starts pointing things out and and leading the dialogue to where Benton uses his gun to shoot out a light and hit a weathercock and some other things. Um, and so you get the opportunity of Benton to be get a, a lowercase a action moment. Um, it, it's not an exciting action, but he gets to use a gun to help the doctor escape. And he doesn't actually injure any of the villagers as a result. So it's like you don't have the military people gunning down British citizens. Didn't he shoot the paper guy? Not to death. Did he? You said injure. You didn't say kill. You said injure. Uh, right, Pretty sure he... Enough. He popped a cap at that guy. Like, pop. All right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, uh, I misspoke, yes. Okay, so so there, there was that, but uh, 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 he didn't murder anyone. Uh, but also, I, I mean, like, go ahead. One of the parts that we sort of uh, quickly passed over that's pertinent to this is the unit backup scientist who the doctor explains what he needs yes. to build. And you get, yes, yes, I have no idea what you're talking about, which is a beautiful <laughs> moment to show that the doctor comes from an advanced civilization and has these basic understandings and is trying to convey them to people who are not on Liz Shaw's capability level. Right. And so that reinforced yeah. unintentionally how important Liz was in a funny moment. Yes. Um, and also, uh, um, uh, I don't know what the relation is, but a relative of Osgood does then show up in the new series in the new unit, um, playing a, a kind of much more capable version of that same role. Um, uh, so there, there's a, a nod towards this because I think I think this is the only serial where Osgood actually shows up in uh, is in the Damons. Um, uh, but you're right there. There is a kind of re reoccurring role of human scientists trying to fill the doctor's role and doing so badly. 
Um, it kind of comes up in um, Battlefield. It uh, kind of comes up in um, uh, one of the two-parters in the new series, Tenants Run, um, where, where they had the unit come in. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's a couple other instances of this, but this is kind of, I think, the first real instance of someone going, the doctor's not always here, so we need someone with this knowledge to fill that role, and they're never going to be quite good enough. Uh, it helps that Osgood is intentionally played for laughs, uh, but also um, we do get a weird moment of the Brigadier just genuinely like losing his shit a little bit uh, uh, because you know Osgood's like it'll, it'll take five minutes and then it explodes like it'll take half an hour at least. <laughs> uh, and the brigadier's like, I need it now. I need it now. No, 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 no. You know. Um, and Osgood's like, it's gonna blow. Like, no, no, we have to get through. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, the brig is not kind to his scientific advisors. So there's a general rule. Well, we knew that when he first met Liz, and he hired the doctor with Liz in the room and made her an assistant. Right. Right. Yeah. So he he certainly has his flaws. Um. Uh. But then, yeah. I mean. Uh. The doctor, and again, another moment of like, uh, the doctor's like, hey, I'll explain it to you. But the doctor's on the other side of this invisible barrier, so he can't actually do it. And so he's trying to uh, diagram something. And so we cut back to the doctor, has taken a marker to the windscreen of his motorbike, and has drawn a, a, a circuit diagram, which is peak third doctor, right? <laughs> <laughs> draw a diagram of a circuit on the windscreen of the motorcycle I'm riding around on. Uh, peak third doctor that we almost missed over the exciting helicopter chasing Bessie car scene because yes. per- we needed to get a drive, get a little drive in. Otherwise it wouldn't be a doctor episode. And this is where we get Mike uh, Yates getting beat up and have the helicopter yep. stolen. Um, and the doctor outsmarting the helicopter person to crash into the heat shield. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, and also, Bessie's actually weirdly a prominent character in this story. Because, uh, uh, you know, again, when, when uh, they're trying to convince everyone that he was a wizard, he used his smoke controlled Bessie to convince, you know, move the car around. And, you know, last week we talked about how no one had an idea how a garage door opener worked. And now it's like no one has any idea how, you know, driverless cars work. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a little funny from a modern perspective. But, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good. It's a good gag. It's a good callback to uh, the first episode. Um, but Bessie is fairly prominent in the serial. Uh, so let's wrap it up. Uh, so uh, Azale has been summoned, uh, and the Doctor and Master both try to appeal to Azale, but for opposite reasons. Um, the huge devil-like figure decides to give his power to the Master and fires electricity at the Doctor to kill him. However, Joe steps in front of the Doctor, asking Azale to kill her instead. Zale is unable to comprehend this illogical act of self-sacrifice, and his power turns against him, destroying himself and the church. The master tries to escape with his capture by unit troops and taken away. Dr. Joe, Ms. Hawthorne, and the unit team join the villagers in their Mayday celebrations. And, oh my god, this so... So, okay, now I'm trying to understand Zale's motivations here, okay? Uh, I may have missed something, because granted... There's some bits of this that I kind of glossed over because I was struggling to follow it. But 
Azale's an alien. We've established that. This alien race that has been using Earth as an experiment for centuries. Which we know they yeah. have, when at their whim, they have helped humanity. So right. they're not necessarily evil. Just kind of selfish. Capricious. That's fair. Um, and it seems that, and I'm filling in a small bit to help the show out here. It seems that uh, they only directly communicate with people when they are summoned. We can fill in that they're probably usually only summoned for selfish reasons. So he gives the power to the master because the master fits the template of how he understands humanity uh, to work. He offered the power to the doctor right? because he That's thought the doctor on. would be a better use of the power, but the doctor refused the power. Right. Then right. he decided oh. to give it to the master. And then Joe, he goes to kill the doctor. Joe steps in and Azale's like, I don't know how self-sacrifice works. Why? Right. Like, has he literally never countered anyone saying, please kill me in the hundreds of years people have been worshiping him? I would think no, because if, all right, let's assume that you, Eddie Webb, are a cultist and you discover that one day <laughs> that you could whip up the devil to give you power or do some random thing for you. But the devil may require, you know, a sacrifice. Um, do you, A, go out and spend your time trying to find someone willing to sacrifice himself? Or do you just like nick someone off the street to go sacrifice to get a quick power boost? B, however, um, my point is the concept of a sacrifice shouldn't be alien to me. It should be the way I get things done. Ah, uh, but then you're, but that's imposing like the actual devil mentality on a alien being that is being used primarily by humans for selfish reasons. It is like, I'm going to say likely never seen anyone willing to sacrifice their own life for someone else. If it's only exist when summoned. Right. power, destroy humanity, control humanity, demon goes away. It wouldn't have seen a selfless act. So what you're saying is uh, 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 the intents of the people involved are more important than the scientific undertrappings of the situation. Yes, because it's magic. Thank you. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> the only reason why Azale's actions make sense is if it's magic and not science. <laughs> or ah, if, bastard. yeah the the summoning itself is a scientific part that brings it forward from all the incantations and rituals and everything else right. it is the emotions and emotions themselves radiate differently i think you can actually measure them and everything and that emotion is likely one it had not encountered that interfered with his computer technology that then forced a backlog of energy and it exploded I mean, on the one hand, that's just glorious nonsense. But on the other hand, certainly when I'm mad at my computer, it does work worse, just objectively. So <laughs> I can't entirely argue your point. <laughs> so what I'm saying at the end of the day is Azale is a massive mood ring that had never experienced that mood before. <laughs> what is this color? I do not understand it. What is this human thing called kissing? Right. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, but I mean, and, and it's in this moment, like the moment of Joe stepping in is both poignant and also frustrating 
because on the one hand, we talked about this earlier, Joe clearly deeply cares about the doctor. Um, and this is a good payoff from the previous episode where the doctor was frozen and uh, she was deeply concerned about him. So now she's like, I just got him back. Kill me instead. Um, and as a member of UNIT, sacrificing her life for the protection of the planet seems to be in line with what she was trained to do. So, so all this tracks. It's just frustrating because this is really the only thing that Joe gets to do in any meaningful way besides be a sacrifice. Well, it's it's almost Tolkienian though, because the only thing Sam really does is don't worry, Mister Frodo, I'll carry you, and bloop, pop Frodo on his back, and they win the day. Joe leaps her for the Doctor to win the day. I, I want to make fun of that, but I really can't. That's actually a compelling argument. Uh, um, uh, as just the stalwart companion in the literal sense, not in the Doctor Who sense. That actually helps to kind of uh, reframe a fair bit of Joe just as a concept, right? Because when you started mentioning Joe's character, the first thing I got was Sam from The Lord of the Rings, because that is pretty much Sam's character arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I may have also be been honest, rereading Tolkien recently, so that may have infused sure, my no, brain. It's a good connection. Um, and it's a piece that when I was talking about Joe earlier, I didn't think about, but it's helping me to kind of clarify that because I mean, I really, with the exception of maybe Jamie. Um, I think Joe's the first, if not, or at least one of the first companions that really helps to balance the doctor's alienness, right? And, and, and give him more context. I say maybe Jamie because that was kind of hidden under a, a layer of textual humor and subtextual uh, uh, love interest. But in this case, um, I think it's a little more clear, like the doctor is occasionally not thinking of the ramifications and Joe's there to kind of go, but what about this? Mm-hmm. Which also then leads into why Joe's exit eventually. Yeah, right. Which is better than Liz Shaw's? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, anything else about this serial? I love that Yates turns to the brig and says, uh, sir, do you want to dance? And everyone's dancing around the maypole. And the brig <laughs> takes a long beat and goes... I'd rather get a pint and they both turn and leave. Oh, right. Which you can read as, I can't believe you just asked me that. Or you can read as, well, maybe Nah, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You're lower rank. That would get me in trouble later, but <laughs> it goes back. It does end with reinforcing my love story for Benton and Olive, which he pulls him yep. out of the Maypole. That's true. That's true. That's true. And the doctor at the end admits maybe there's magic in the world after all. So it's like, again, the, the regardless of the doctor's protestations, the story itself is like, no, seriously, magic is real. But that is also the best way to write this kind of story, though. You, you don't want to be definitive one way or the other. You want to leave it up to the viewer, the reader to make their own decision in the end. But you want to take them on a journey to go through it. And if you have a scientific character, your scientific character can't start off this by saying, I believe absolutely cold, hard facts of science and in magic at the same time. Right. I've read that book. It's okay, but I like the journey better. Um, and, and honestly, again, I, I think like the show is strong enough and robust enough that it can handle this, right? Like we're 10 seasons, well, almost 10 seasons in. Um, and this is a show that's like, yeah, no, Moriarty can summon the devil in modern day England. And that's, that's perfectly fine. 
but also in a more on a, on a smaller level, the doctor is a strong enough character that he can simultaneously say there's no thing as magic, science is real, and then literally in the next line go, We need to listen to the witch and stop this demon, right? And that doesn't jar because we're going, what is the doctor seeing that we're not? We're not going, why is this character weirdly pivoting on it? Um, it is frustrating that he berates Joe about this uh, and, and insults her about her thinking that magic might be real. Um, and then doesn't quite apologize for that scene. Um, so it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, again, they protest too much. He's so angry about it. It feels like it's, it's a bit combative. Well, one of the things about doing the show, how we do it is that Pertwee, I want to say almost in all the serials with Joe at one point in time during each and every one of them berates Joe at least once. Yeah. So it's just not the magic thing. It is a trope that they've established during this run, which leads to a lot of the projections that people have put on it Mm -hmm. about their relationship dynamic. Right. Right. Um, So that's a fair point Uh, on this. It's not, it's not this like it could only happen to here, Um, but at least to my larger point of, uh, how the writers treated Joe is just straight up sexist. Like, again, this isn't us, our opinion on the material. This is more or less been absolutely objectively said. The, 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 the textual evidence and the repeated reassertions of the script editor at the time, it's just super clear. This is how they treated Joe as sexist, which is weird because this is also the same team that does Sarah Jane Smith and completely goes a different direction with that. We're not quite to Sarah Jane Smith yet. Since that's the end of the episode, do we want to talk any about the end of Pertwee's run itself? Because we may or may not do it in the classic series, but in case we don't, do we want to capstone it? I don't think like, we did yeah, it like, with Hartnell and maybe a little bit with Troughton, but I, I feel that as we get closer to the more modern stuff, now it's more definitive, like this is Doctor Who, which right. those were like, we're building what will become Doctor Who. That's fair. Um, so after this, uh, um, literally at the 10th anniversary uh, show, uh, The Three Doctors, which is the first multi-doctor uh, anniversary episode, um, the the third doctor gets forgiven by the Time Lords and is allowed to travel time space again. So the show goes back to the formula we know before, and we get about, if I remember correctly, a season and a half of mm-hmm. the Doctor Who just traveling in the TARDIS. Um, uh, Joe gets written out later on that season um, in the Green Death. Uh, she falls in love with a, a eco ecologically interested person who's not quite a terrorist <laughs> uh, named Cliff. Um, and that is canon because uh, when Joe comes back in various shows, she references Cliff repeatedly. So they're apparently married throughout that. Um, and again, it's not bad. It's sudden. Uh, it was clearly a scene kind of tacked on at the end. Um, but Joe caring deeply about the world and wanting to do something better is very Joe. So, so it's yeah. not, it, it's, it's not implausible. It's just sudden. And then we get the uh, arrival though of near a near fan favorite. Yes. Uh, universally. Uh, Sarah Jane Smith, um, who's not a member of unit for the first time. Uh, she is a, uh, freelance reporter who has a long-term assignment to start uh, uh, tracking what's going on with unit. Um, and the brigadier is like, Oh, there's a reporter. I don't want to deal with her. I'll fob her off on the doctor. 
uh, and um, she is an explicit uh, and vocal feminist. Uh, she is, if I am understanding how this works, she is a first wave feminist, uh, which is a different from second and third wave feminism. Um, and mind you, my, my knowledge of feminist waves are, is a bit shaky, but I believe she's a first wave feminist, um, which is very uh, women can do better and pointing out sexism, but not quite to the level of more systemic uh, examination of uh, sexist institutions. So we're having a rough middle point here. So some of the stuff that Joe or that uh, Sarah does is um, from modern perspectives, not very feminist, but that's because it's still kind of early stages for feminism as we understand it. Uh, but yeah, she becomes a very different archetype of companion. Um, and, and Sarah Jane, to my mind, uh, is the first really strong step for the modern day companion, right? She she is the companion we look at and go, I can see uh, uh, Ace in this. I can see Rose in this. I can see Clara in this, uh, uh, so on and so forth. The other ones are, are not quite there. I think she's kind of the first real complete package in a lot of ways. And there's a yeah. reason why uh, she's, she was played all the way to Liz Layden's death. We don't want to give too much away because she may show up sometime next season in an episode. Right. So it could be a out of Chosen. Yeah, no. Um, uh, Sarah Jane is is great. Um, she's certainly in my top five companions. Um, not that I've ranked them because I actually haven't, but I, I'm sure she would be in the top five somewhere. Um, and I almost did pick a Sarah Jane story, but she's it's weird because like she had an entire season with um, Pertwee, but she's so explicitly she's a Tom Baker companion in a lot of ways. So as we're one of the things I do want to point out is that for the this episode and the fi- the first episode and the final episode, um, Spearhead from Space and Planet of the Spiders, is that it begins with Pertwee stumbling out of a box and it ends with Pertwee stumbling out of a box. Mm-hmm. It was a nice capstone for it both ways. Yeah. Uh, and something that we're kind of uh, occluding uh, because of the way we're doing this format is uh, Pertwee was a doctor for five years. Yeah. Right. Um, because of the way Doctor Who was produced, that doesn't amount to a lot, too many more episodes because his runtime was cut, as we talked about. Uh, but he was a doctor for a long time. He was, uh, um, he set the mold in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, he's not one of my favorite doctors. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Um, I, I've grown to appreciate him more primarily because of the support cast. Uh, but you cannot deny that when a lot of people go, Pertwee is my doctor, I, I can't say, but why, right? Um, I could see why there's a lot to like about what he's doing here. Um, he certainly explicitly moved the doctor from leading man, which Troughton did, to action hero. Anyway, that is now irreducible for Doctor Who. Doctor Who is now an action-oriented character in a way that he was not previously. Um, his love of technology and gadgetry comes from Pertwee. Um, his paternalism also comes from Pertwee. That's not a great contribution, but but certainly uh, his, his slightly paternal, dismissive character comes from here too. Uh, I would um, actually say that comes from Hartnell. Okay, like, fair. That goes um, all the way back from the start. Double down here. 
it's really double down here. Um, uh, unit also comes from here. Uh, and there's, as we've said before, there's lots of reasons to love unit. Even though it is ultimately a military organization with weirdly high levels of inclusive power to do some really shady shit if you think about it for half a second, but you don't want to because it's it's such a strong supporting cast except for Mike Gates. Uh, and <laughs> it's something that just Doctor Who wouldn't have done otherwise, and now you can't imagine Doctor Who without it in my mind. Absolutely. Now that we're uh, wrapping up the third Doctor, though, do you know what time mm -hmm. it is, right? The final quote? Oh, no, Companion. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember. I think for the first episode, you chose first, then I chose since we only did one Doctor. And the second, for the second Doctor, I chose, then you chose, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I have... That's um, the of Victoria. Yeah. So then... I think it's your choose for you pick first, right? Right. Um, and because I am magnanimous, I will actually choose Joe. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am I am stunned by that. Um, so then now I have to ask: Does unit count as companions? Well, we've talked. We've had this argument before, and last I remember, this discussion was a a companion is oh. Crap! I'm about to say, a companion yeah. is someone who's taking a trip on the TARDIS with the Doctor, but yeah, to bring they did. Benton qualify because of three Doctors. Yep, 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 yep. Oh man. Okay, I take it back. I take it. I want Benton. <laughs> you stole Benton. Yes, bastard. <laughs> All right, then I'm gonna choose the Brig. I, I love Liz, but <laughs> I would choose the Brig. Okay. All right. So then, who is your TARDIS team right now? Uh, my TARDIS team right now is uh, Barbara, um, Victoria, and Joe and Benton. No, <laughs> it's going to be Joe oh, or no, Benton. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought, I thought we were I thought choosing both. Okay, then Benton. Yes. So it's it's. Uh, I have my action character. I have um, uh, my my smart uh, woman from the '60s and someone to get captured. I guess. <laughs> Wow, that means like I've got the Brig, Jamie, and Susan. I, yeah, yeah. I am, I've, I've got an action-heavy TARDIS team. <laughs> you do, and a Time Lord. So I mean, it's a pretty strong team. Oh, very nice. Um, all right, my quote. Since we're we're yep. doing quotes, I came with a wackadoo idea of doing quotes at the start of the beginning and top. <laughs> Why do you let me do these things? Um, I don't know. Courage isn't just a matter of not being afraid, you know. It's being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway. Yeah, that's a pretty good summation of, of the Third Doctor, I think. Any uh, any closing thoughts on the Third Doctor before we tell people what we're doing next and then tell them where to get all of your awesome swag? Uh, no, we'll go into the doing next because um, for the first time, actually, I double-checked this, first time ever, uh, we're doing back-to-back -back hosts. Uh, Normally we alternate, but the fourth doctor, it just worked out that it makes sense for me to do this one. So it's well, just... we we're, we're doing it almost in a uh, chrono ah, chronological, chronological order. Right. And right. the episode that Eddie chose is earlier than the first one I chose, but then I'd changed it to the last minute and it's still, his is still earlier than that one. Right. Right. 
Um, so we're only bumping ahead uh, two seasons, um, but uh, we're going to move finally into Tom Baker's era, the fourth Doctor, um, with uh, Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, so uh, we'll, you will hear more about Sarah Jane, and, and you'll hear me very likely have to defend um, Harry uh, against Chris. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I, 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 I have a soft spot for Harry. Um, but um, so we're doing uh, all six episodes of Genesis for Daleks. Uh, and yeah, um, if you want to buy my stuff, which you should, because my stuff is great. Um, you can find my website at uh, pugsteady.com. That is P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Uh, that's also where you can find me on most or some or a few social media websites. Uh, but um, if you want to buy a cool game about dogs, check out realmsofpugmire.com. That is my creator-owned game where I get a chunk of that. Uh, but really, if you want to chat with us, uh, just come to the Darker Hue Discord uh, where right now I am thankfully lovingly being bombarded with DS9 memes. If you're looking to buy my stuff, you could come just to the Dark Crew Studios website. I've got everything listed there. Or you could go to Chaosium's website to buy Harlem Unbound Second Edition. And if you come to the Dark Crew Discords, you'll see, get the chance to see and read what I'm putting out about my thoughts on at time of airing, I am watching the new Lawman Bass Reeves TV show yeah. that's being made by Taylor Sheridan that I'm having some problems with because I can see the bits of the lost myth conspiracy mm-hmm. interwoven into Bass Reeves history. Mm-hmm. Oh no. So well, we'll see how, how another episode to watch. One more episode to watch. <laughs> yeah. So they've got the pilot, right? I think the pilot's a two parter. I've watched the first episode of the pilot. And I've got some thoughts on it, but I'm going to give it give it some breathing room to see how much they do. Awesome. But I also know that this is a miniseries. And so unlike Tyler Sheridan's other show of like Yellowstone, Bass Reeves may not get five or six seasons. It may be like one spinoff of Bass Reeves. And then they'll jump on to other lawmen and go into like a whole bunch of white dudes. Mm, yeah, that's frustrating. Uh, well, so um, definitely check out... Um, Chris's stuff at Darker Hue. If you want to hear more of us talking about stuff, consider backing the Darker Hue Patreon because uh, we have been recording, uh, getting in the habit of actually regularly recording little movie reviews. We just did uh, The Big Sleep. Um, so we just talked about that. So check it out. And um, we're going to be talking about more movies in the future. Uh, we're going to do a couple of uh, duologies we're looking at. So um Feel free to check those out. But otherwise, we will see you next week as you find out how the Daleks were made. Exterminate.